As we come to the word of God, let us pray. Lift up your hearts, let us lift them to the Lord our God. In the light of your Holy Spirit's presence upon our, open our hearts and lives to the transforming power of your Holy Word, so that we may be your faithful and obedient servants. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first lesson this morning comes to us from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Here the prophet speaks of God's ideal servant, tirelessly pursuing justice. Hear now the word of God. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the, pe- out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Here Jesus comes to John the baptizer to be baptized of him. Hear now the word of God. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm curious this morning, as we begin on this second Sunday of the 
season of Epiphany to remember the baptism of Jesus. How many of you remember your baptism? Yeah? How many of you were baptized as infants? And you remember that? Do you remember being baptized as an infant? Well, Mike does. How old were you, Mike? You were three years old, and so you remember. Okay, good. Anybody else? Yeah, Jeff? How old were you when you were baptized? 24 years old? Okay. And were you baptized by sprinkling, pouring, or immersion? Sprinkling? Okay. Very good. See, Christendom, we have so many divisions now. You, you know, sprinkling, pouring, and immersion, doesn't matter. It's baptism. It's water. It's the Spirit of God doing something in us and through us. Well, what's interesting about this text is that without it, baptism does not make a great deal of sense. And really, as a sacrament, would have very little significance to us if it were not for the testimony of John. So one of those answers to the question that I posed a couple weeks ago, why is, what is John the Baptist's significance to this season and to the ministry of Jesus, this is in fact one of them. Because if you'll see in the last part of this passage, it is John who sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Jesus. It is John's testimony to what he sees that becomes the statement of what God says about Jesus' baptism. Now, as the church developed, there were many what we call heresies. One of those heresies was called adoptionism. And typically, historically, a heresy is usually something addressed to a weakness in the theology of the church. When the church decides that some belief is heretical, it means that someone came up with a theory or an answer to an issue or a question that the church has not addressed clearly enough or strongly enough or emphatically enough. I was faced with this very early in my ministry when one of my deacons on my consistory said that they believed that it was at the baptism that Jesus, in fact, became the Son of God. Now, does anyone know what that heresy is, Mr. Seminarian? The heresy that, that speaks in this way, that somehow or other Jesus was just a human being, an ordinary human being, until his baptism is the heresy of adoptionism. It is the heresy that somehow says that at this point, God took ownership of Jesus in a special way. How old is Jesus when he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized? Around 30 is what we estimate. And what begins as he comes to John for the baptism? What do we have following this? The ministry of Jesus, right? The mission of Jesus. He begins his ministry. 
And so you see, as we understand the narrative, as it unfolds before us in the gospel, it says something to us about our own baptism and our own role in this thing called the kingdom of God. Okay? If, in fact, the baptism by John is the testimony that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, and that this act begins his ministry among God's people, begins the ministry of the kingdom of God unfolding in the midst of God's people, then what does that say to us who are baptized? Especially to those of us from Reformed tradition who typically are baptized as infants and brought into the covenant of the New Testament, the new covenant of Christ, by the baptism by water as an infant, sometimes months after we were born, sometimes in our early preschool years. What does it mean for us? We, unlike Jeff, were not 20-some years old, so we don't have that kind of recollection many times, and so it becomes almost a mute issue. But baptism throughout the New Testament, you see, becomes a basis for founding or or a foundational tenet of our faith. It is how we guarantee or warranty or, or assure ourselves that we are, in fact, a son or daughter of God. One of the things that I've been doing is helping my mother this past week. We started during the Christmas break, but uh, she is making application for some kind of, uh, of uh, pension from the veterans of uh, foreign war. Uh, she was a past president, and there's an auxiliary program that helps with the cost of um, medical expenses. And one of the things we had to dig out were birth certificates. And it was interesting to me um, when we started getting birth certificates of her and my father, um, it came, became, I became aware of something that unlike the birth certificates that were issued when I was born or when my wife was born or my children, the old birth certificates that were born always spoke about the parents of the child and they always included the, the maiden name of the mother which I thought was very interesting. I don't, I don't think they do that anymore. But it, it included the maiden name of the mother as well as the married name. And, and they would always put in parentheses after it, knee, N-E-E. Now, I've seen that on funeral tomb, or on, on graves tombstones, but I've never seen it on a birth certificate before. And as, what it brought to mind, or helped me to realize and recognize, was that there was a definite role in these things called birth certificates that helps us to see to what family or lineage we belong to. It became a way, you see, for people to understand, well, I came from these two people who came together in in marital union, and those two families had these families behind them, etc. And it gave everyone this sense that when they looked at their birth certificate, they knew kind of where they belonged in the world. When I thought about baptism this past week, and in light of that, began to realize that I wish that we could do the same thing. 
I wish that when we brought our children to the baptismal font, there would be a way for us to begin to unfold all the people who before us were part of that action. For instance, how many of you sitting here had men and women in this congregation in the past decades who were significant to your being here? How many people had Sunday school teachers or neighbors or friends who were members here became a drawing point to bring you here? Or that your family came here and so this was the natural place for you to come? Hmm? You see, baptism for us as Christians is all about belonging. Belonging. It is the mark that sets us apart and says, you are mine. Now, one of the things I love about devotional literature, especially uh, those pieces of literature that talk about our relationship to God, uh, specifically our relationship as children of God, Brennan Manning speaks of this in one of his books and says, everybody understands and believes in some way, shape, or form that God loves us. Right? I mean, typically, if someone says God loves us, God loves everybody, how many of you would disagree with that? Yeah, sure. Baptism does more than that. Baptism says... God not only loves you, God likes you. Do you see the difference? There's a part of us that says that God ought to love us. I mean, God made us. There's a part of us that says that God's love should be available for everybody. But to say that God likes you, you know? It's, it's kind of what happens when pastors have friends in churches, in congregations. You know, the pastor's supposed to love everybody in the church. But when he likes somebody more than somebody else, that's usually, you know, a red flag. So it, 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 it's, it's unhealthy for that kind of thing, that dynamic. And the same thing tends to be true when we think of this, this, this phrase. God not only loves us in Christ, in our baptism he says, I like you. And not only do I like you, I like you just the way you are before you even begin to perform. I mean, as a baby, you've, got, you've given no evidence whatsoever that you're going to make it to the end and be a faithful Christian. You've got nothing to stand on. It's pure grace. When your mother and father brought you to the, to the fountain or, or to the river to be baptized, you had very little to say about that in most cases. And there was very little history to demonstrate that you were going to be, you know, this outstanding young Christian woman or, or man. There's not a lot of reputation that preceded this marking of God liking you. And, you know, as we grow up, as we become adults, we become so performance-oriented, okay? Oh, well, he's a nice guy because he's this way. Or she's a wonderful woman because she's this way. We like people because somehow or other we see things about them, the way they behave or the way they think or the way they speak, that we tend to like or that we tend to enjoy listening to. But God liked you 
before you even had a chance to prove yourself. And not only did God like you, he did something else that he did to Jesus as well. He not only loved you and liked you, he called you. He called you. If you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you've gone under the water in some way, shape, or form, by sprinkling or by pouring or by immersion, you have been set apart by God for a special calling. You have been set apart as someone who understands and who represents to the world the righteousness, the holiness, and the grace and mercy of the living God. Those are the words of Isaiah. You become the good news the minute you undergo the waters of baptism. So that baptism for us not only says God loves us and that God likes us, but that God has actually chosen us to be missionaries. Chosen us to be men and women and young people and children who represent to the world what God is all about. Now, you and I always and would probably be very quick to say, yes, but, you know, we're just ordinary people. You know, we haven't been called to the ministry of being an elder or being a deacon or being a minister of word and sacrament or being a, a, a missionary or a teaching professor at the seminary. We're just ordinary people. Well, I hate to tell you this, to burst your bubble, but there was no such thing until at least the first century in the church either. There were no ministers of word and sacrament or deacons and elders when the Gospels were written. There was no such thing. The disciples of Jesus Christ, those who were recognized as apostles, were only recognized as apostles when? After Pentecost. Their role as apostles only became important to the church when Jesus Christ was no longer with us and we needed somehow or other to get connection to Jesus and the apostles became that connection for us. So the idea of special roles in the church have been historically developed, but it comes down to this. All of the special callings of the church, whether it's minister, deacon, elder, missionary, teaching, professor, whatever the office may be, the calling, the basic calling of all of us is to be signs of God's love and grace and mercy in our world. That's our calling. That's being called to be, if you will, missionaries. Those with a mission. Those with a purpose in the world to tell the rest of the world by our lives, by our actions, by our words, and by the way we take our thoughts captive. That in fact, Jesus Christ is truth. God is love. 
And the Spirit enables us to live lives worthy of that teaching, that doctrine, that understanding. Perhaps you don't remember your baptism. And perhaps you have even forgotten a little bit about what its significance, in, is, its significance is in your life. But this Sunday, out of all the Sundays of the year, is a point at which we are called upon to remember. Okay? Called upon to remember. So, what I have done today is our confession of faith this morning is taken from the Heidelberg Confession, question and answer number one. Historically, the most memorized and well-known piece of the Heidelberg Confession. But I chose it because it emphasizes this one thing. That you and I are here because we belong. We belong to God. You need a purpose for living. You need a purpose for somehow getting a handle on who you are and what you're supposed to be someday, whether you're 16 or 60. That is, in fact, what it's all about. You belong to God. And finding out what God wants in your life, for your life, is already spelled out for you. You're to be light and truth and love and to witness to the good news that all those in Christ are children of God. And if you're not in Christ, that you're invited to be part of that family. That is our function. That's our purpose. You know, if you need 40 days to figure that out, fine, wait till Lent. But if you're getting on board now, that's what it's all about. And when you come to moments when you begin to doubt or you get frustrated because you're not living the way you think you ought to, or life's struggles and difficulties begin to, to mount, and you wonder whether God's even around anymore, or exists anymore, or cares anymore, stand under the shower. Just stand there with the water running, and remember, somewhere deep inside of you, that you belong to God. Get wet. Feel it on your body. Feel it in your hair. Feel it dripping. Feel the sensation of it on your skin. And let it tell you something. God loves you. And Jesus Christ wants you to be touched by that. That's what it's all about. And you see, then that becomes all of the foundational motivation for everything we call Christian living. That's how simple it is. Now, the baptismal font is full of water this morning. Okay? And my invitation to you is, before you leave this room, no matter what door you exit from, you pass by that font, stick your hand in it, Feel the water and remember, you've been washed in the waters of baptism. You belong to God. Okay? And enjoy it. Okay? Let's pray. When Jesus went into the Jordan, it was a dirty river, Lord. 
It was where people did their laundry, sent their sewage, dropped their garbage. It was not the nicest river in the land, but it was where your spirit took him. And under John's ministry, he became for us the Messiah, the Anointed One. The leader of this thing called the Kingdom of God on earth. As we come today, baptized into him who is our Savior, help us to believe in our hearts and understand in new ways that Jesus Christ is also Lord and that our lives and everything that we are and have belong to him. We pray these things in his powerful and precious name. Amen.